This week's TribCast is sponsored by Introducing Curry, C-U-R-R-I. Think Uber for delivery of construction supplies. Distributors and contractors use Curry to get pipes, pallets, tires, gallons of paint, doors, windows, faucets, and more delivered right to their customers or job site. Curry is now available in Texas at curry.com. That's C-U-R-R-I.com. And the University of Texas at San Antonio. UTSA's top-tier researchers are tackling the challenges that impact our daily lives, from Alzheimer's to car accidents. Learn more at bold.utsa.edu slash research. Hello and welcome to the Texas Tribune Tribcast for February 11th, 2022. Uh, my 2022. It is 2022. I'm still having trouble getting used to that, Ross. <laughs> my name is Matthew Watkins, uh, Managing Editor of News and Politics for the Texas Tribune. And this week I am joined by Ross Ramsey, Executive Editor of the Texas Tribune. Hey, Ross. Hey, you look, you look like you're doing this from the Unabomber's shock. <laughs> yeah, I'm hiding in my daughter's room as they are. Uh, AISD has just decided they there was just not going to be school today. Wow. Yeah. Well, you have water, but no classes. Eventually, it'll all sync up. <laughs> they, they felt like there, there weren't enough days between COVID and, and uh, ice storms that they just needed another day for the kids to be at home. Sure. So. Here I am in my in my bunker. Um, I'm also joined by Alexa Ura. Oh, wait, no, I'm not. Alexa is out uh, uh, lounging in a San Antonio bar drinking a beer. And Last seen at the Pearl, right? That's right. That's right. We promised we would uh, give her grief on the podcast in her absence. And, and that was that. All right, Ross. So it's you and me today. We're going back and forth, but I think it's 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 a good day for for us to be talking to you because we are at the Friday before early voting in the 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 primaries uh, this March, and I think I would just love to kind of pick your mind about kind of where we are, what 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 is what are the the races that have have grabbed our interests, and 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 kind of are there any big picture observations to make about the the, the primary? And I'm going to start here. I mean, you used to be the the proprietor of the Ross Ramsey hot list, um, right? And you know the the thing we love to read every every year about kind of what the big races are. So I'm going to kind of give ask you to do your kind of impromptu hot list right now are there what races you know heading into early voting right now in texas on the primary ballot have your the most attention have caught your attention the most this year the one that leaps off the page is the republican race for attorney general uh, you've got a sitting attorney general ken paxton who has uh compound legal problems. You know, it may all come to naught, but right now there's a lot of noise around him, enough to track to attract um, really fierce competition. He's got a statewide office holder, George P. Bush, the land commissioner, uh, just resigned statewide office holder, Texas Supreme Court Justice Eva Guzman, and a pretty well-known congressman from Northeast Texas, Louis Gohmert, all running against him in a primary. Um, the last poll I've seen, and there may be some more polling before March 1st, but the last poll I've seen was the one from the University of Houston. And they have, Pat, they have uh, Paxton below 50%. And depending on how the undecided votes break, 
you know, he could get over 50% or not. An incumbent in a, in a runoff is an incumbent in trouble. And, you know, uh, Paxton's first concern, you know, he wants to win that race, but his first concern has to be trying to get past these three relatively formidable opponents um, without a runoff. Um, Louis Gohmert looks like the one in the group who steals the most votes directly from Paxton. It looks like they're eating off the same plate. Yeah, I have to agree with you that that is the most interesting race on the ballot right now. And, and for a lot of reasons, the number one one being, of course, Ken Paxton and the way he has run that office. Of course, he has been accused of, of, of bribery. You know, there appears to be an active FBI investigation into that case. There's been some reporting that that's going on and we've seen no indication that that has stopped. And, but, you know, on the other hand, he has the support of Donald Trump, right? Donald Trump right. came to Texas a couple of weeks ago and, and said, you know, I'm still with you. I'm behind you. And it's, it's going to be fascinating to see how those two different things play into each other. I guess my question for you, Ross, is, and, and something that I'm trying to figure out myself is how we should view these polls, right? There's, there's three very different candidates running against him. They are all, you know, their goal seems to be to try to get into a runoff with Paxton. Paxton, and then the question for Paxton is exactly, is he going to get into that runoff or not? So should we see him hovering around that 50% mark as a sign of him being the far and away leader of this race or should we view that as a sign of incumbent in trouble i kind of i kind of think the answer is yes without being a smart aleck about it you know the 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 first thing you look at is if the incumbent has 50 percent and that's all that's dangerously close to half of your party's voters saying give me something else and you know the his best hope if he's really you know if for example his his number right now is 50 then he's got to hope that among the three of them that they don't add up to 51. Uh, so, you know, he's in, he's in striking range. Um, and I would say, you know, the, the safest way to characterize it is that is just like that. He's in striking range. Uh, none of the others looks like they're going to win the primary outright. Mm -hmm. None of the others looks like they're going to beat Paxton outright in the primary, but if you get him in a runoff, it's another race, you know, it's, um, this is how Ted Cruz got past David Dewhurst back in 2012. You know, you first you knock off your lesser opponents in a primary, you get the incumbent in a runoff, and then it's just a referendum on the incumbent. And how do you like the way things are going? And, you know, the question is, if you got to, I can't remember the date, I think it's May 24th is the runoff. Um, but if you get to May 24th and Ken Paxton's on the ballot, then all the time between the March 1st primary and the runoff is going to be talking about his positive and negative traits. His first ad is out and it's all Trump. And, you know, he needs to, I, you know, particularly if he gets in a runoff, he's going to need an and Trump and something. Right. Um, so I think, you know, I, th I think that's why that race is interesting. It's very unusual to knock off an incumbent in Texas. It generally doesn't happen. Um, unless there's an indictment or some kind of bizarre thing going on. And not even then necessarily. Paxton was indicted in his first year in office and has already been reelected once. So Republican voters already signed off on that one. It still hasn't gone to trial. And now, as you say, he's got this FBI investigation of allegations from some of his top attorneys that he was 
using the state office on behalf of a private political donor. Right. There's the there's the indictment that he has already survived once, right, related to state securities fraud actions before he took office. And now there but are these but it's still outstanding, right? Exactly, but it's still outstanding. And then now the further allegations about how he was actually using the office perhaps to benefit a donor or someone he had some sort of kind of relationship with beyond there. You know, the other thing that really strike fascinates me about this race is it just is what it says about kind of where the Republican Party is. You know, there are these, each of these four candidates are very different in the way they present themselves. We already talked about Ken Paxton, you know, in addition to the ethical concerns that he has, he has also just been the, you know, fighting the Biden administration at every turn and a strong ally of Trump. You know, he's known nationally uh, to a lot of people as the uh, attorney general who brought the lawsuit trying to overturn the election results in the 2020 right. presidential election. Um, then you have Louis Gohmert, right, who I pulled up his campaign site as we were talking and the big, bold letters next to his 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 picture say an ethical, honest conservative. And you know, this is, he is kind of trying to portray himself as super Trumpy, which he is, right? He is, right. you know, uh, among the people in Congress, you know, he goes around in Congress with uh, Marjorie uh, MTG, you know, uh, the, the the Congresswoman out of Florida who- The Gaspacho police. Exactly, exactly, right. <laughs> and, you know, well, at every turn, um, you know, question the integrity of the 2020 election and will- um, you know, do push a lot of kind of fringe ideas, including, you know, some some things about the defending the January 6th insurrectionists and everything like that, yet still seems to be trying to say, it's like, I'm all these things that you like about Trump and this wing of the party, but I don't have these ethical, you know, legal cloud hanging over. And it, it's an interesting kind of needle he's trying to thread here. And I think that's, you know, that's that's why I was saying he's eating off of Paxton's plate. You know, they're both Trump candidates and Gomert has this other thing, as you point out, that differentiates him from Paxton. It's like we're the same in all the ways that you care about, but we're different in this other way that you care about. He's got these ethical clouds. The sky is clear over Louis Gomert. Exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, we also have the possibility here that a candidate with the last name Bush and, you know, and this is not like a uh, Rick Perry, but not that Rick Perry situation. It is actually a Bush, George P. Bush, who is at risk of not making a runoff in a statewide Republican primary in Texas. And, right. you know, that in, in and of itself, you know, I, maybe not be shocking to people who have been paying attention to, to politics in Texas for the last four to six years. But I think is something that's worth noting. Uh, he still could make it. He's running pretty close to Gomert, but just this idea of this family that dominated Texas was kind of the brand of GOP politics in Texas is now, you know, not only is he at risk of not making the runoff, but he has basically run away from that family name during his campaign. You know, he, right. the, the, the famous koozie that was in his, uh, uh, launch at his launch party about basically like I'm the one Bush that Donald Trump likes. It's it's uh, it, you know, it's it's a pretty amazing kind of symbol of of the way the GOP in Texas has has shifted over the last what six to ten years. 
Well, I think that's I think that's right. I also think, you know, he started this differentiation pretty early when he got into the into state politics, you know, in his own name. Um, there was a moment you may remember the year I don't where Evan Smith was interviewing him at a Tribune Festival yep. and asked him if he was going to endorse his father in the Republican primary that his father eventually lost to Donald Trump. And he was on stage and he just straight up equivocated about it. And, you know, he's been he's been making space between himself and, you know, the royal family name. Right. In, in, in Texas politics for a while, if he had been more successful at that, I think he would also be eating off of Paxton's plate. But, you know, if you watch what Paxton's afraid of, you know, they're not going to show us their polls. But the the only opponent they've attacked is Louis Gohmert. And that tells you a little something. It says, you know, they're worried about Gohmert eating into their base. They're not worried about Bush. And I think you're right. I think, you know, Bush, you know, isn't going to be land commissioner because he's not running for that. And if he finishes in March third or, you know, even second, if Paxton gets over 50 percent, he's out. Mm -hmm. And then the last the last piece of this is that, you know, Texans for Lawsuit Reform is a group that formed when, you know, quote unquote, tort reform was the big thing. George Bush was running. It was, you know, often business groups and and defense lawyers on one side of politics and plaintiffs trial lawyers on the other side of politics. And they've become kind of a proxy, you know, not the Republican Party, but very much a Republican organization and, a, and an organization that represented establishment politics, establishment Republican politics in Texas. And they were an early and strong supporter of Eva Guzman, which tells you, among other things, that the that the donor base in the Republican Party is split. You know, so they've got part of their big donor base now going with a challenger They've got part of their big donor base, you know, the conservative part of it sticking with the incumbent, um, you know, some Bush loyalists sitting over there, although I think that's a that's a split crowd with the TLR group and um, Gomert eating into, as I said before, eating into that conservative base that Paxton has. It's a really interesting, like a three party party. Yeah, you know, and the, the Guzman element is interesting in this. I mean, you know, it, it's it's worth noting that she was, you know, although she held statewide office, right, on the, on the high court, she's still a, a fairly low profile state office and, and one where her name recognition compared to these other three was quite low. So, you know, it, it should be noted that she had kind of an uphill climb from the beginning. That being said, kind of watching her campaign, you know, what she's campaigning as is the experienced you know, strong legal mind, the one who kind of would be most effective as the, you know, attorney general, the top lawyer for the state, you know, not unlike kind of following the path that Greg Abbott took to the attorney general and then keeping, keep and then kept on rising. And, you know, that is not a very compelling argument these days in the Republican primary. I mean, we're, we're not seeing that pick up a lot of traction, which is also in and of itself fascinating. So, yeah, I think, you know, the more, you know, the the more moderate candidates, I don't know that anybody here is a moderate, but, you know, the the less super conservative candidates um, need a bigger crowd in a primary. This is where turnout starts to matter. You know, if you get low turnout elections in primaries, 
on either side and either party, they tend to be dominated by the people who are, you know, the most, you know, Republican Republicans and the most Democratic Democrats. And, you know, sometimes the more moderate Chamber of Commerce Republican types and, and frankly, the more moderate Chamber of Commerce Democratic types have a hard time getting out of out of low turnout primaries where the you know the hundred percenters are out in force and everybody else is sort of like oh yeah i'll get to that yep yeah all right well um can't wait to see how this one turns out uh, let's talk about some of the other races but first pause to hear from our sponsors raise your hand texas raise your hand texas presents for the future a series of candidate forums leading up to the 2022 primary election visit raiseyourhandtexas.org vote to find a forum near you and the Texas Municipal League. The Texas Municipal League is 1,168 towns and cities building safer communities and a stronger economy. Learn more at tml.org. Okay, Ross, so we just talked through, you know, the first half of this podcast without even mentioning the top of the ticket, right? The, the gubernatorial race, Greg Abbott, um, with a host of challengers, most notably Alan West and Don Huffines. You know, the a lot of money spent in this race, a lot of um, noise and attention, but I think we're starting to, I think, ask the question, did I, any of these candidates pick up the traction enough to really make Greg Abbott sweat? What's your reading of that so far? It depends on what you read. You know, if you read Alan West's tweets, he has 42% of the vote in, his, in some poll that he cited there. Um, I still think, you know, I've thought from the beginning of this race that unless West and Huffines, and for that matter, any of the other Republicans do something, um, Greg Abbott's the Mack truck and everybody else is just a mosquito on the windshield. I think, you know, this is a, a deal where the Abbott thing is kind of a juggernaut. I don't think, you know, in, in our polling, we haven't seen, you know, a significant number of Republican voters, which is all we're talking about right now, who were upset with the governor. So if you're a Don Huffines or an Alan West or anybody else, you've got to say, A, you know, I've got to talk to voters who don't like Greg Abbott and I have to win them away from not only Greg Abbott, but all the other people clawing for those votes. And then is that enough votes, even if you had them all? And I don't think it's enough votes, even if you had them all. Um, Abbott's polling pretty well. He's got more money than all the other candidates on all the other races combined. <laughs> it's amazing. He's got $62 million. Um, and I think you could add up all, I, you know, this is back of the envelope at this point. I haven't done it with a spreadsheet or anything, but I think you could add up all the money raised by all the candidates and all the other races in both parties. And Greg Abbott's got him beat. Um, so he can go wall to wall. And in fact, is going wall to wall. And I don't expect him to have much trouble with this primary. And in fact, his commercials, a lot of his you know, he's not going big time on TV with this yet, but a lot of his commercials are not about any of his opponents in this primary, but about either Joe Biden or Beto O'Rourke. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think he would much rather have everyone attention kind of looking ahead to the, the general election in that race than than focus on those primary opponents. You know, the, the, the thing that I find curious about Abbott in this race is if you kind of are on the, you know, hashtag TX ledge Twitter, which, you know, full admission here, uh, 
not a great way to get a sense of what's going on in the real world, uh, you know, seeing what people are tweeting. But but if you do, you know, you see a lot of the voices that we looked at, you know, recently as being kind of voices of the grassroots or like signs of where the temperature, whether it's the Michael Quinn Sullivan or the uh, Joanne Flemings or, uh, you know, some of these various kind of like, you know, loud, hard right voices. There is a lot of frustration with Greg Abbott among that group, you know, um, you know, basically like it, reading my Twitter feed, I would think that Greg Abbott was in more trouble than Ken Paxton in this, but, but it, that just does not seem to be playing out in the numbers. Um, and I'm honestly not quite sure what that says about kind of the state of the grassroots in Texas. Well, I think, you know, one of the problems with the, or one of the, you know, one of the one of the attributes of the grassroots, I would say, is that they're really loud and they're not always as big as they are loud. And, you know, you hear them in places like Twitter and Facebook and, you know, other social media, um, and they seem bigger than they are. Um, it's like the reverse of looking in your rearview mirror. Things that are in mirror are closer than they appear. Things in mirror are further than they appear. They're not as powerful a group as all of that. Um, what does make them powerful is if they can get enough people on their message where they build up a large enough support group that, you know, they basically come with a lot of votes or they find some rich people who will finance their efforts and they come with a lot of money. And if you come with a lot of money, that often turns into coming with a lot of votes. And, and if you look at, um, you know, some kinds of races, you know, like that AG's race that we talked about, you know, for the first half of the podcast, you know, a lot of these groups are behind Louis Gomer, but a lot of them are behind Ken Paxton. And the groups that are in that race are coming with a lot of money and they're coming with some votes. Mm -hmm. And in Paxton's case, you know, that's worth responding to. In Abbott's case, they're coming with a lot of noise, but the money is mostly with Abbott. He's got 62 million and even if I'm a very conservative, unhappy with Abbott, rich guy, I might look at that and say, you know, I'd have to spend everything I've got to even contend with that guy. Yeah. And I could spend my money instead in this Paxton race or down in the Sid Miller race or someplace else on the ballot on House and Senate races. So, heck, I'm going to leave the governor alone and just go do that. I just think they're not coming with the votes and the money. And I think that's where... Huffines and West placed a bet that didn't come in. Yep. All right. So what else on the state ticket are you going to be watching for over these next two weeks? Well, I mentioned it kind of in passing that Sid Miller race. He's the agriculture commissioner. Um, he's always been a source of uh, bizarre and wondrous headlines, you know, from the from going to Oklahoma to get a Jesus shot, to get him over the ailments of a rodeo cowboy to you know, doing this and that. The latest one is that uh, Todd Smith, who's a kind of his political consigliere and has been, you know, with Miller for a long time, um, was recently indicted for allegedly selling access to permits to grow hemp in Texas that are issued by the Department of Agriculture. Really serious charge and a really, you know, messy thing Miller has said, I don't have anything to do with that. I don't know what Todd did. And we are no longer associated. Um, 
And everybody but his opponents might believe that, but his opponents aren't letting go of it. So, you know, that's that's what James White and um, Council, I forget his first name. Is it Kerry? Kerry, um, um, yeah. Yeah, Kerry Council are talking about, uh, this is a case where, you know, it's a down ballot race, relatively speaking. Miller's not, you know, for all of his persistence in politics, he was a House member. He's been a statewide. He's not well known. You know, this is a little bit far down the ballot. And White and Council are going to have to catch on pretty quick here. Voting starts Monday. And, you know, more than half of people typically vote before Election Day. So they've got about a week to get their names and messages out to get past Sid Miller. Miller, on the other hand, is in a situation where because he's not well known, he doesn't have the sort of um, automatic wave for those guys to have to overcome. If you run against a Greg Abbott or a Dan Patrick, people know who they are, or a Ken Paxton, for that matter. People know who they are. Sid Miller, every time, has to buy a little bit of name ID. So he could be in trouble. I don't think so, but it's an interesting race to watch. Yeah. When... You know, I, I as an editor always love to like try to pull together storylines and, and 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 see things like that. And you know, I feel like in the past few legislative cycles, you'd have you know the the grassroots really rising up, trying to take out some um, of you know who the people they can consider rhinos. Then you had kind of a more establishment pushback, especially gearing up for the 2020 election where it was believed that Democrats had a chance to take the House. I got to be honest, I'm a little bit thrown for a loop about 2022. The, the through lines feel a little bit less clear to me this time around. What do you, what's the story of these, these legislative races you think this time around? I think the story of the 2022 races really overall, but certainly legislative and in the congressional delegation are the Republicans won the 2020 election. And, you know, it was a critical election to win first because, um, you know, you want to win the election. You want to hold your majorities. You want to hold on to all of your statewide seats. And they did that. They did it after particularly strong Democratic chest beating about we've raised a lot of money. We're going to take back the House. You know, they said they were coming for them and they came for them and they lost. So the Republicans came out of that with a big win. It was a redistricting election. So they held on to their majorities going into a legislative session where they were going to draw the map. So there's their first advantage for 2022. We're playing on their field. Um, the second one is Joe Biden won in 2020. You know, he lost in Texas, but he won nationally. The party that's out or the party that's in the White House typically has a bad mid-year election. You know, this is when the Democrats gained in Texas was when Trump was in office. The Tea Party election where the Republicans did really well was Obama's first midterm. So we're at Biden's first midterm. So there's strike two. Strike three is that, you know, if you look at these last few elections, even when the Democrats got, you know, to their closest point in 2018, the, the recurring message may be different in its um, total impact, but basically the Republicans win, you know, sometimes they win by more, sometimes they win by less, but it remains a Republican state. And you're going into an election with these sort of three strikes against the Democrats, not to mention the fact that, you know, the last statewide election they won was in 1994. 
And there's a stack of things up against them. Not a lot of the congressional races or Senate races or House races are really competitive in November. Uh, you know, several of them are competitive in March, this Republican versus that one or that Democrat versus this one. But if you're looking at the total numbers and you're looking at, you know, what is going to be the impact on the legislature coming out of 2022 and going into the 2023 session, I think from this point, you know, this could change a million times, but I think from this point, you're looking at not really that much change. And, you know, you might or might not get a new AG. You might or might not get a new this or that. But the numbers in the legislature and in our congressional delegation are pretty much going to stay about where they are uh, with, you know, Republicans in charge. Yeah, very good. And anything grabbing your attention from the Democrats? I'm curious to see how much money they can raise. Um, you know, the, the 2020 race was interesting because they raised, and, and the 2018 race too, uh, they raised a lot of money and, and they proved that there's a lot of Democratic money that's interested in winning in Texas and that will invest in that kind of thing. We've known for a long time that the Republicans will do that. And I'm old enough to remember when the Democrats were in charge and the Republicans were out and the Republicans kept up a steady drumbeat year after year and got inch by inch closer. And then, boom, they were in control. Um, so, you know, that may or may not be the way things change if they change again. But, you know, it's in my head watching the Democrats to see if they can mount that kind of steady progress. In 2018, Beto O'Rourke raised 70 or $80 million in a race for U.S. Senate where there are campaign finance caps. You know, you can only raise a certain amount of money from a certain individual or PAC in a federal race. Now he's in a race where there are no limits. You know, in Texas, you can find one rich person and they can give you a kabillion dollars, right? Mm -hmm. You know, good luck with that. Um, so the question is this time, you know, and, and then in 2020, the Democrats raised a lot of money in their effort to turn Texas blue, to take over the Texas House, you know, all of that stuff. They fell short, but the money was there. And now after those two comeuppances, I'm wondering if the Democratic money uh, in Texas and around the country is going to be focused on people like Beto O'Rourke and Texas races, or whether there are more interesting things to do elsewhere. And, and, you know, if the Democratic efforts in Texas flag a little bit. So, you know, if you're looking for a long tail, that's the one I'm looking at. In terms of short term, you know, this AG's race is, you know, as, as political contests go, this is a really interesting primary and that could turn into a really interesting runoff. And, and, you know, we only get those once in a while, particularly with involving incumbents. So that's really, you know, sort of what I'm thinking about now and going into November, I think, you know, the chances are that, you you know, we know that we've got the best fundraiser that the Democrats and that the Republicans have put up in years. Beto O'Rourke and Greg Abbott can raise money like nobody else in their party. So, you know, if, if O'Rourke has the kind of race he had in 2018 or even the kind of race he had in 2020 when he ran for president, we're going to watch a $125 million gubernatorial race in Texas, you know, and that's going to be loud and noisy. And, you know, for fight promoters in the media like us, that's going to be pretty interesting. Yeah, we've seen, you know, talking about the Democrats, we've seen the kind of changing demographics and how the margins in these statewide races have crept a little bit closer each year. But of course, 2022 is going, I think a lot of people expect to be a tough year for the Democrats. And, and 
you know, I'll be interested to see what is a measure of success, right? You know, um, run, you know, running a race that is closer, that doesn't become a complete blowout might not be a terrible sign for the Democrats. But then I think there's also a lot of questions, you know, some interesting things in the polls right now about the Hispanic vote, right? And how those changing demographics, if Republicans make a lot of headway on the uh, Hispanic vote in Texas, that would kind of reverse those trends for them and, and put them in a better position long-term. How sustainable that is, I think, remains to be seen. And I think is something we'll want to really think about and pay attention to over the next, you know, not necessarily two weeks, but but 10 months heading up to, to November. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really good year for political scientists who take all of that apart as it comes along, do the autopsies after it's over, and for reporters and, and political journalists. I think this is um, an interesting boiling pot this year. But for Texas citizens, you know, this is a year where I don't know, you know, there's a million ways for this to blow up, you know, in the next nine months. But, you know, I don't know that this is going to be one of those years where you're going to say, you know, that's the year the earth moved. Yeah, I mean, we it's been weird. The last two, 2018 and 2020, we kind of came into election night as journalists, not really sure exactly what the stories were going to be right and you know or even who would win you know it, it's it's funny to think back now trump won texas by six percentage points and that's you know a, a pretty healthy margin but but there were polls suggesting that it was it was up for grabs and and attainable by tex, uh, by democrats i'm not sure we'll feel that way in november but like you said a long way to go and there will be plenty of other texas trip casts for us to talk about that, but I think that's enough for us today. Thank you, Ross. Thank you to Justin, our producer, and thank you to our sponsors, Curry, the University of Texas at San Antonio, Raise Your Hand, Texas, and the Texas Municipal League. We'll talk to you all next week. The 2021 winter storm crisis caught Texas by surprise. One year later, we're bringing together lawmakers and industry experts to make sense of where we stand with the power grid, climate change, and severe weather in Texas. Join us for a free multi-day event, Monday through Friday, February 15th through the 18th. Details at texastribune.org events.